This is an educational series by the Ukrainian Fire Chaplain Show. I wanted to give you a heads up that we had some technical difficulty on these four episodes on Ignatius of Antioch. The original seven first episodes of the Ukrainian Fire Chaplain Show were done on Clement of Rome at Ignatius of Antioch on a condenser mic, which failed, and I did not realize that it had failed until after I got into post-production for these four episodes on Ignatius of Antioch. So I had to use some backup audio. I want to give you a behind-the-scenes tour real quick of our studio where I have made some pretty sizable upgrades in order to give you a lot better quality and listening experience. So stick with these four episodes on Ignatius. I did polish the audio quite a bit, even though it's backup, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks. Let's skip down here to um, the Epistle of Ignatius to Polycarp, which I I think is a great point. Uh, I don't have a whole lot highlighted from here. I want to leave us some in my next series or the next episode in the series dealing with who St. Polycarp was. So let's skip down to chapter one. Have regard to preserve unity, then which nothing is better. Bear with all, even as the Lord bears with you, right? You think, you think other people have problems and get into your skin. Just think about how God is up there going like, what does this guy even realize how big of a pain in the butt he is to me? We can really be self-centered narcissists sometimes. It's, it's so easy to think that everybody's got it out for us. And we have no idea how much of a pain and the you-know-what we can be to the good Lord. Bear the infirmities of all as being a perfect athlete in the Christian life. Where the labor is great, the gain is all the more. You know, you have that kind of depersonalizing suck-it-up buttercup. But there's a lot of truth to that. And, you know, you have where there's no pain, there's no gain. I mean... Those are pretty much paraphrases of what Ignatius is saying to, to his friend and young bishop here, Polycarp, who is, uh, you know, the bishop of Smyrna. Chapter 2, if you love the good disciples, no good credit is due to you on that account, but rather seek by meekness to subdue the more troublesome. And Richardson has an interesting thing in a translation here where he's talking about, you know, uh, it made me think of, of, you know, my own children and stuff like this here, where it's like, if your kids are good, what credits to that you, but rather by temperateness and meekness, you know, you know, raise up the good, you know, raise up those misbehaving to be good pupils. And, you know, how easy is it for us to just want that, you know, that Christianity of convenience, that gospel of, you know, health and wealth, be sober as an athlete of God, the price set before you is immortality and eternal life of which you are also persuaded. You know, be sober as an athlete of God. And he's talking about not just physical sobriety. You don't be going out and getting drunk and, you know, he says uh, in this sentence before, tossed with the tempest. Don't be, you know, setting your heart on the things of the world, but, you know, really have that perspective and that dedication of an athlete in your own spiritual life, in your own struggles with whichever commandment you struggle or whichever vice you struggle with whether that's anger or in wrath or whether that's chastity and purity and uh, whether that's uh, gluttony or laziness or slaw, you know, what, whatever it is you're struggling with, have that fight for, you know, a clear headed mind because anybody that's ever had friends or family that are alcoholics knows that, you know, they're just people who don't really even have the perspective of such the beautiful role that they live in because they're living in their own stupor of, you know, inebriation and their own level of drunkenness that deludes them from being able to appreciate such a beautiful world that we have. And then yet, how can we be 
lost and drunk on all these things in the world and not let us, you know, want to endeavor into the realm of the spirit and the mind. I think there's that parallel there, but let's skip down to chapter three. Let not those who seem worthy of credit, but teach doctrines strange to the apostles, fill you with fear or apprehension. Look for Christ, who is above all time, eternal, visible, yet who became visible for our sakes, impalpable and impassable, yet who became passable on our account, who in every kind of way suffered for our sakes. And in this passage here in chapter 3, you get this, again, this like articulation, this real clear explanation here. No, it's not true God, true man. It's not exactly in the formula that we would use at the later councils, right? But you get that this person, this him, this savior God, was visible and invisible. Uh, he existed eternally invisibly, yet became visible for our sakes through taking on flesh. He was unable to suffer. He was unable to change, you know, as pure spirit. Yet he became able to suffer in his humanity on our account. And, and there's just this really great presentation of like a description of the two natures of, of, of our Savior here. And I think that's going to be important for us to keep in mind as we go into some of the later debates and some of the later uh, church fathers and writings. But let's skip down here to chapter 4. Let not widows be neglected, but after the Lord, their protector, and be their friend and protector. Let nothing be done without your consent. Either do anything without the approval of God, which indeed you don't. So he's talking here, obviously, to a bishop, and that's, you know, Polycarp was a bishop, fellow bishop like Ignatius. And so he's giving this presentation here of, you know, it's your ultimate duty to make sure that these things are done right, to take care of widows and orphans. And, you know, inasmuch as you're steadfast, let your assembling together be a frequent occurrence Seek after all by name. He says, know all of your flock by name. Like, you should not be this absentee father. You should not be this absentee bishop where everybody's just a number or you don't even know that. Oh, yeah, how many people do we have? And he talks about, let your assembling be together. Obviously, he's referring to Christian worship and the offering of the Eucharist. Let them not uh, long to be set free from slavery at the community's expense that they be not found slaves to their own desires. I think that's an interesting passion uh, a passage here because he's talking about the slaves that wanted to be free. Um, and you know, it's very difficult because slavery in the Roman Greco Roman world was not like slavery in South Alabama and South Carolina in the United States. That 18th century slaver slavery was far worse than what happened in Rome. Like you were worse than a human being in modern slavery. Uh, in, in Greco-Roman practice, like slaves had a dignity, they had a, a place, an office, a position of respect. And so, you know, while we make that distinction of the slavery that we're familiar with in the Western world was, was, was far, far worse than the type of slavery they were dealing with, or, you know, he, he's counseling them and saying, you know, just be careful that you're not fighting for the wrong type of freedom. Because physical freedom is great. But if your heart is only set on physical freedom and you're not set on spiritual freedom, just be careful that you're begging for people to give you money uh, from the church so that then you take that money and run and take that freedom and abuse it and the rest of it. And this is obviously not me endorsing slavery or anything. It's not Ignatius endorsing slavery. But he's just talking about, you know, where we're setting our hearts from and not trying to sometimes reject, right? That's the struggle we all have. We have the crosses that we have from God. Sometimes they're from men, sometimes they're from ourselves, they're sometimes from just the way that we are born with our health defects or physical defects or, 
you know, crippling diseases, whatever it is. And often we just don't want that cross from God. And he's saying, be careful that you're not throwing off, you know, the, the cross that God is going to save you through. Be careful of having that, that human freedom. So let's skip down to chapter five. Speak to my sisters that they love the Lord, be satisfied with their husbands, both in the flesh and in the spirit. I think it's interesting. He makes that distinction there, right? Like, don't just be happy with them, but you know, counsel them that they're not defying their sexual, you know, fulfillment apart from their husband, which is, you know, a huge struggle today. I mean, look at the modern culture of not just divorce, but, you know, sexual pleasure and every this type of other. And I think that's something we'll see in some of the specific sins that are eventually written on by later commentators and later Christian writers and fathers. There's this whole struggle of like, we'll see, we're married, we can do whatever we want in the bedroom. And he's saying, you know, while, while he doesn't explicitly go into that, he's just saying, be satisfied with your husbands. Like, don't want more than what you are, you know, you know, don't just think that, uh, you know, your husband, you know, maybe a seven out of a 10 or a nine out of 10 or a four out of a 10 in the bedroom. Don't go trying to get the rest of that from other men, get that from God, you know, and if your husband's lacking in perfection, don't just say, well, my husband's failed me. Therefore, I don't need him anymore. Like that, that type of attitude of, you know, that, that, that frustration, not bearing the cross with your spouse, whether that's on women on the part of their, their attitude towards their husbands, husbands on the attitude parts of their wives, like don't have the mindset of, well, I'll just get my fill elsewhere. I'll get my side piece for my girlfriend or whatever that is. And he also talks about that, you know, same way that Paul would in Ephesians, you know, I also exhort my brothers that they love their wives even as the Lord did the church. And there's a reference there. If anyone can continue in a state of purity, and he's talking here about celibate chastity, virginity, but really like that consecrated virginity, to the honor of him who is the Lord of flesh, let him do so without boasting. Like, just because you're able to live this celibate life, don't sit back and say, oh, I'm better than all the rest of you. Or see, I don't have all these struggles. Well, yeah, you're probably blind to the rest of your struggles. But it becomes both men and women who marry to form their union with the approval of the bishop that their marriage may be according to God and not after their own lust. And this is the first instance we get right here, you know, about 70 or 80 years after, you know, the, uh, the passion and the, the foundation of the church through, you know, the passion and resurrection of Christ. You get here at the turn of the second century. This explicit notion that Christians should be marrying under the direction of the bishop. Uh, here he's talking about formal direction and approval and authority, but there's this whole conception of like our Christian spirituality, whether that's marriage, whether that's baptism, whether that's worship, whether that's our engagement in church affairs, like all of that is to be done under the fathership of the bishop. And, and it's crazy to think that, um, you know, this was very explicitly taught right there in the first century and the second century. Skipping down to chapter 6, and to the deacons, may the portion be along with them and God. Labor together with one another, strive in company together, run together, suffer together, sleep together, be awake together as the stewards and associates and servants of God. And he puts really like the, the both the burden and the joys of the deacons, you know, as the same or similar burden and, and joys of bishops and priests. Let none of you found to be a deserter. Let your baptism endure as your arms, your faith as your helmet, your love as your spear. And that is such a that is such a to the point sentence there. Let your baptism endure. You know, how many of us really want to strive to keep our baptism and to renew those vows every day? 
in how we live and how we, you know, practice our Christian faith. Skipping down here to chapter 7, as we've really finished up this last chapter we're going to look at, his epistle to Polycarp, I am all the more encouraged, if indeed by means of suffering I may attain to God, so that through your prayers I may be found a disciple of Christ. A Christian, a Christian has not power over himself, but must always be ready for the service of God. And I think that's a great point I want to finish this episode on, because really the Christian struggle is in some aspects, not that, not that different from, you know, the people uh, in the world who don't know Christ. And that is, we, we all want to be masters of our own destination. You know, the Christian, uh, at least many of the Christians, the Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, uh, Jewish Christians, I've, I've had a few friends that are that, you know, we still all struggle with that whole aspect of the prayer of our Father, thy will be done, you know. Not mine, but your will, God. And I, I think that's really the promise and the pledge of the world is that, you know, we have power of ourselves. We can do all of these great things. And as we're influenced culturally by that, we still have the same struggle after we're a Christian that we did before we're a Christian. We still have the same struggle that everybody else does, which is to, to not put ourselves first, but, but to put God first. And to be ready for all things. And so Ignatius and all of his epistles kind of highlights all different aspects of that. And how easy is it, it is for us to kind of fall back into clinging our own will. But I really hope you've appreciated this. I know this episode went a little bit longer than the previous ones. But I kind of wanted to keep it to four parts. And, and not have this short epistle to Polycarp drag on into another episode. Because we're going to look at him when we come back next. Once again, this is your host, Christopher, of the Ukrainian Fire Chaplain Show. If you have not already, go ahead and look at our website, theufcshow.com. It's got information about us and ways that you can follow, subscribe, or support us. We're on various podcast platforms. We're on Facebook and YouTube. And if you're able to, consider supporting us on Patron. Also want to give a shout out to Daniel Atchison, the music artist Atch, for permission to use his song forever in our productions. Until next time. Would like to offer my special thanks to the Antiochian Orthodox Choir Group, Incense, for letting us use their song, The Great Perkimenon. You can find links to their music in the description.